Everything okay? All right. It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? All right. How many of you have been handing? You can adjust me a little bit back there. I sound like I'm in a in a hole. Do I sound like I'm in a hole? Okay, there. He'll, he'll get it adjusted. You've been handing out your tracks? You know, it's important that we take what we believe outside the four walls of the church. And if all we have is Christianity inside the four walls of the church, then we're doing disservice to what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we need to be sharing our faith with other people. Uh, you know, there's only one way to miss hell and make heaven, and that's to come to Jesus Christ. Is that right? There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus, so we want to direct them to the Lord. And these tracks, as Pat said in the testimony there, uh, can help people find, find the Lord because it's full of the Bible and the Bible will direct us to the Lord Jesus. So be sure you hand those tracks out and do the best that you can with that. Okay, how many of you dressed up in your, in your uh, team garb today? All right, how many people do we have dressed up? Okay, so we've got about five or six people that have team spirit. All right, so the rest of you have to get with it. But now if you didn't wear your, your uh, did you ever think you'd see me standing here with a St. Louis Blues shirt on preaching? See, when I, when I grew up, I was taught to always wear a suit to church, you know. But the culture has changed over the years, so now, you know, I have this on today. But I'm wearing it because we're teaching a series from this book. Now, how many of you know we always use the Bible here? Realize, realize say the Bible. Say the B-I-B-L-E. That's still a book for me. Yeah, so we, we've not left the Bible at all, but for uh, one first time in 20 years that I've decided to use uh, this book by my friend Tony Cook on finding your place on God's dream team. And it's full of the Bible, so we've been quoting lots of scriptures, And but it's, uh, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, if you're married, you're on a team, aren't you? Yeah. Is that right? Uh, it, maybe you're not married, but you work, let's say that you, uh, you work at, uh, wherever you work, you're part of a team, is that right? So whenever whenever you're hooked, you're hooked up with somebody else, you're part of a team. And so there's some things in this book that will help you to become a champion on God's dream team. And uh, if they'll put that little acrostic up that Tony Cook, he's the author of this book. I think that we have it there for champions. Do, do we have that available? There it is. You see, if you want to be a champion and then see what he did with each of the letters of the word champions, you need to have composure, humility, authenticity, motivation, persistence, interdependence, obscurity, nobility and strategy. And we've been going through each of those uh, those those characteristics. Uh, and, and I think the first Sunday we covered composure last week, humility. So today we want to try to get two or three of these in authenticity. Let's talk about authenticity, authenticity. See, if you want to be a champion, you're going to need to be authentic. Now, what does it mean to be authentic? It means to be real, to be genuine, to be not copied, not fake. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I'll just quote this to you from the Message Bible. It says, God can't stand pious poses but he delights in genuine prayers. You know, one thing I've learned about the Lord is he doesn't like fakery. Fake. Put on. Put on. What's another word for put on? Hypocrite, isn't it? Saying one thing, doing another. God just wants us to be real. There's another scripture that says from the book of Romans in the Message Bible says, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Have you ever seen somebody faking love, just just acting like they love you, but when it gets right down to it, they don't really love you? Has anybody ever dealt with people like that? And you see, God does not want us to be fake. He wants us to be real. And uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. Philippians chapter 2 verse 20. We'll read it in the message version. And here... The Apostle Paul is talking about this man named Timothy. He was a pastor. And notice what Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 20 in the Message Bible. He says to the church in Philippi, he says, I have no one quite like Timothy. He is loyal and genuinely concerned for you. 
Most people, verse 21, most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. But you know yourselves that Timothy's the what? He's the what? He's the real thing. See, Timothy was a, a, a minister of the gospel who was the real thing. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody invite you to lunch or they invited you to do something or they just wanted to get together with you and you went out with them and you sat down and you begin to talk and you get just a little ways into the conversation and then you see that they had an ulterior motive for wanting to take you to lunch or wanting to talk to you. Has anybody ever experienced that besides me? They want something from you. They ask you for something. They're trying to get something out of you. I can't tell you how many times over the years, you know, people have asked me to go to lunch and, you know, sit down with them and, you know, you get a little bit into the conversation and then all of a sudden you, I just go, oh, I thought you were for real. But they weren't for real. They were wanting something. They were wanting, you know, you know, how, have, am I the only one that's ever dealt with that? And you just want somebody to be real. You just want somebody to want a relationship with you just because they, they, they love you, not because they're trying to get something out of you. How many of you have ever, and talking about Pastor Timothy here, Paul said he's the real thing. How many of you, you know, you've, you've been aware of ministers over the years that, you know, they stand in the pulpit, they stand behind the podium, they're, you know, on television or radio or whatever the case. And then as time goes on, something comes up that they were dishonest or they were not acting as they should. Doesn't that just kind of throw a bucket of cold water on you? They weren't real. They weren't authentic. I know in my life. When I was a young boy, and I'm not here to pick on ministers because I am one, but when I was a young boy, there were a couple of ministers over the years that I really admired and thought highly of, and, and I'd listen to them preach and whatnot. And in a couple of them, I had a chance to be with them privately, you know, and talk with them a little bit privately. And, man, they just treated me like I was a piece of trash. I mean, and they, they were not the same outside of the pulpit as they were Inside of the pulpit. Has anybody ever experienced that besides me? Is that sad? That's sad when that happens. And, and, you know, I just I I thought to myself, you know, I just wish these guys would have been for real. You know, there's one person who is for real, and that's Jesus. Is that right? And just because somebody else acts unbecomingly or because a minister acts unbecomingly doesn't mean that Jesus is unbecoming. Is that right? And so I've always looked for a minister to be the same out on the street as they are behind the pulpit. Be the same at Walmart as you are when you're preaching. Can anybody say amen to that? And this doesn't just apply to ministers. It applies to all of us. We ought to be the same. <laughs> we ought to be the same at church as we are at home. Do you know how many Christians, and I just struck a nerve here, do you know how many Christians when they come to church, they put on their Christianese and they start talking Christianese and they start acting real Christian, you know? But they get home and then all of a sudden they're not Christianese, it's, sometimes it's even cussinese. You ever heard a Christian cuss? You ever, ever heard a preacher cuss? I have. It's not enough to just be Christians here at church, that doesn't mean anything. What are you doing at home? What are you doing in the midnight hour when nobody else is around? How real are you? See, if you want to be a champion on God's dream team, you need to be authentic. You need to be real. You need to be the same person that you are at church. You need to be that person at home and that person on the job and that person wherever you are. And that's not easy always to do. But if you want to be a champion on God's dream team, you're going to have to be authentic. Listen to this. Christians often miss God's best Trying to be something that they're not. Christians often miss God's best trying to be something that they're not. Trying to be someone God did not create them to be. You know, we just need to be ourselves. This is something I've had to learn over the years. You know, 
I, I guess it's just over the last, you know, many several years that I've just really been myself in the pulpit. The first years of ministry, I'd get up in a pulpit and I'd, you know, I'd act like the different teachers that I learned from, you know, and, and, and I didn't do it on purpose, but I guess when you get right down to it, I, I guess I just thought people wouldn't really like the real me. But I come to find out that when I was acting like other ministers and whatnot in the pulpit, you know, I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being real. I wasn't being myself. I've come to find out that, you know, if I'm just myself, people tend to like me more being myself than when I'm acting like somebody else. You need to be yourself. Just be yourself. How many besides me have ever, you know, you, you, you put on errors, you put on, you know, you, maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but you did. But you know what? You have to be who you really are. And that's when I think people will like you and accept you the most when you're just being real and being yourself. Be the best person that you can be. And don't just be, you know, I was going to read this. I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. But uh, there's an old saying that uh, be yourself. Have you ever heard that? Be yourself. But don't just be yourself, be your best self. Always be on your best behavior. Have you ever heard somebody cop, cop out and just say, well, I just got to be me. And they, 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 you know, that's true, but, you know, they just had a temper fit. And then, you know, they say, well, I just got to be me. Well, you know what? The Bible says put on the new man. Is that right? And, and so don't just be yourself. Be the best you that you can say. I must be, I must be. the best me. That I can be. Be yourself, but be the, be, be the best that you can be. Don't, you know, if there's some things in your life that, you know, you're struggling with temper and those kinds of things, get before the Lord. Go before the Lord. Work on those things and get those things. He, he'll help you. He'll help you get your temper under control. He'll help you. Uh, I've changed a whole lot, haven't I, honey, in the last year or so? Have I been easier to live with in the last year or so? Yeah. I got to a point in our marriage that is good marriage and wonderful, but I was I was doing things and I not on purpose, but I was just doing things that was making our marriage not as good as it could be. Just kind of being cantankerous and grumpy and and, you know, bringing up the past. You know, the past is a past. Is that right? Sometimes, we, you know, I'd bring up the past and I'd point out things maybe that I didn't like what my wife had done here and there. And it was just it got to be where it just we had a good marriage. It's just kind of miserable. But but the Lord began to deal with my heart about the same time he began to deal with me about I need to lose weight and all that. And, and, and I've made a, a, a 180 degree change. And has it been better? So I'm not just being myself. I'm being my best self. Well, apply that to your life. If there's some changes you need to make. Be the best, best you that you can be and be authentic, be real. And that's when things will start going, uh, going better for you. Um, here's something else I want to bring out that Tony Cook brought out in his book. Has anybody ever seen the Rocky movies, the Rocky series? Rocky, what was his last name? Rocky uh, Balboa. Okay, y'all know that. Um, I haven't watched those, but I've watched clips of them here and there, but... But apparently what happened to Rocky in the first movie, he was this up and coming fighter. And, you know, he how many of you remember? I remember him running up those stairs. Remember? Uh, I don't know where it was. Where was that? Did he Philadelphia? OK. All right. So, you know, it better than I do. It's seldom that, you know, something better than I do when it comes to these things. But you do on this one. That was a little jab. Did you, it's OK if I jab you. OK. Where was it at again? So he was, but in the first movie, he was that up and coming fighter and he, what, what did he, he went in the meat, in the meat locker and he was punching the meat. Was that right? A side of beef or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, but by the time, so he, and, and, and did he win? He didn't win in the first movie, did he? But he fought him, he fought the champion to a draw or something like that. Or does anybody remember that? He went to distance. Yeah, he went to distance. But by the time you get to the third movie, he had been successful. We're talking about authenticity. See, in the first movie, he was authentic. He was real. He was being himself. By the time you get to the third movie, you see him in a mansion driving luxury cars. And his trainer at the time said to Rocky, said, 
Worst thing that happened to you is you got civilized. And what he meant by that is, is Rocky changed. In the first movie, he was authentic. He was being himself. Now, all of a sudden, the fame and the fortune and all of that has changed him. And he became soft. And not as solid as he was in the first movie. Do you know... Being authentic is a good thing, but a lot of times, and I've watched this over the years, when people, they're authentic, they, they, they by being themselves and, and training and all that, they, they raise to the top. But once they get to the top, they change soft times. Have you ever watched anybody over the years, they change and they're not the same as they used to be when you first met them? And that's what happened to Rocky. You see this throughout the Bible. There's this. King in the Old Testament named Uzziah and the Bible says that Uzziah sought the Lord and he he was a very humble man and he sought the Lord. He started seeking God when he was 16 years old. He sought the Lord and authentically from his heart sought God. The Bible says the hand of God came on him and raised him to the top. And the Bible says his fame spread far abroad and Uzziah was mightily helped by God. And then the Bible says until he became strong. And then the Bible says, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And from there on, and then God sent, I mean, God sent, uh, he started seeking God when he was 16. Now, as years came and went, he's in his fifth, like late 50s, early 60s, and he gets prideful. And God sent many people his way to correct him and, and get him back on track, but he wouldn't listen. And his end was not good. His end was a horrible end for this man named Uzziah. What was the problem? Is that he he started out, he was authentic, but then he retreated from that authenticity as he became more blessed. You know, blessings are good, but sometimes blessings can cause us to get our eyes off of the Lord and get our eyes over on the blessing. I've said this for years, there's nothing wrong with having money, but it's wrong when money has you. Is that right? And he retreated, Uzziah retreated from his authenticity. Remember King Saul? How many remembers him? And, and there was a time that he was very humble, and then there was another time in his life when God, after God, began to use him and bless him, that he lost that authenticity And he got to a very dire time in his life. And remember the prophet Samuel said to Saul, he said, when you were small in your own eyes, putting it in my own words, when you were small, when you were humble in your own eyes, things went better for you. But you see, Saul, King Saul got to a point where he was no longer humble. He he changed. He, he, He withdrew from being authentic. See, if you want to be a champion on God's dream team, you're going to have to be authentic and stay that way. It's so easy to lose authenticity. Look at Galatians 2 verse 11. Galatians 2 verse 11 in the New Living Translation. Let's look at an example here where Peter, does anybody remember Peter? How many remembers Peter? You remember him? The Apostle Peter? Do you think he would ever retreat from being authentic and become less than authentic? Well, let's read this. Notice Galatians 2 verse 11 in the New Living Translation. Galatians 2 verse 11, New Living Translation. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Wow. When we, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, What do we see here? We see here that Peter, one of the most beloved disciples and apostles. Was there a time where he was being less than authentic? Yes. Now, if it could happen to Peter, could it happen to you or me? Oh, yeah. We always need to be on guard that we always be ourselves, be the best self that we can be and and resist the temptation 
to be less than authentic. And you see, when we're less than authentic, did Peter's hypocrisy affect other people? Yeah, and negatively so. So when we're less than authentic, it can affect not only ourselves, but others around us. So I just want you to get out of this point here. Just be you. Be the best you you can be. You're the only you that you can be. And, and things will go better for you. And when God blesses you and he raises you up, just, just, just stay real. Just, just don't put on airs. You know, have you ever met anybody walk around with their nose stuck so high in the air that if it rained, they'd drown? Those people aren't that much fun, are they? I've already seen it over the years. I've already seen people being the pastor of the church. I've already seen people that they were, they were nice to me. But then no more than they went around the corner, they were rude to one of the ushers. And that's happened on many occasions over the many years. Not in recent days, but over the many years. Now that person that did that, were they being authentic? Were they being real? No. They were putting on airs. They were nice to the pastor, but they were not being nice to the usher. Do you know when you're not being nice to the usher, you're not being nice to Jesus. Is that right? I'm not saying that the usher is Jesus, but the usher is a member of the body of Christ. And that usher is just as important as the pastor. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Is that correct? So it's important that we treat everybody well, not just certain people. Okay. Now then, the next one I want to talk about is motivation. Real loud, say motivation. Yeah. Motivation. If you want to be a champion on God's dream team, you're going to have to have motivation. Uh, what does motivation mean? It means passion. It means enthusiasm. It means eager. It means drive. It means hustle. Who in baseball was known as, as I think it was Charlie Hustle? Who was that? Huh? Pete Rose. And if you notice him, he was always hustling, wasn't he? He was always hustling. You know what I look for in a ball player is when they get a walk. What do they do to first base, do you think? They, one that's really motivated, what do they do? They're going to run down there, aren't they? That always blesses me when I see that. When, 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 and I'm not saying the ones that, that don't run down there, I'm not saying they're bad or anything, but I just, it always blesses me when I see, you know, I even look at the ball boys. I like to watch them. I like to watch them when they're hustling. When everybody's running, always hustling, always giving the best that they have. See, that shows me that they're motivated. I learned this a long time ago. The way, and, and as it pertains to hustle, I, and it's not just when they get a walk in the game, it's when they're practicing and they get a walk, they run down to first base. I, I learned a long time ago, the way you practice is the way you're going to play. And I was taught this as a young boy by, by a fellow I think very highly of. He taught me, he said, because we were in practice one time in Little League Baseball, and I was just kind of given a half-hearted effort. Now, I remember I had my, uh, I had my baseball mask on, and, and, and we had just gotten those hard, used to wear the hats backwards, you know, and we had just gotten those helmets. And I, you know, and I was kind of goofing around, and it was practice, and, 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 and he came over with the, with the back end of the bat, and he just popped me on the head with it. Didn't hurt because I, I was a catcher and I had that thing, but he popped me on the head. And, and, and he said, boy, he said, the way you practice is the way you're going to play. Boy, it got through, got through to me that you always give 110% no matter what you're doing. And if you want to be a champion on God's dream team, you're going to have to be motivated. Always give 110%. And it doesn't just apply to at church. You know, you always, at, when, when you go to work, one guy told me this years ago, 10 hours work for 8 hours pay. I thought, what are you talking about? I don't want to work 10 hours and only get paid for 8. He said, no, that's the attitude you should have. Give 10 hours work for 8 hours pay. I tell you what, if you do that, uh, you'll raise yourself up in that company. You'll, 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 raise, you'll rise to the top. People that are motivated, people that hustle, people that have passion. Have you ever met anybody that has enthusiasm and passion? I tell you, I like being around those people. I like being around people that even in the practice times, they're given 110%. If you want to be all that you can be for God, you need to be motivated. 
Tony Cook said in his book, talent makes a team good, but motivation makes a team great. Uh, let me read this. I'm going to read this from, from his book here. Uh, how many of you went ahead and got his book? How many had the book? I'm going to read from page 99 here. I seldom, like I said, use somebody's book like this, but I, it's a good book. It'll help us listen to this. Um, motivated people take initiative. Now, listen to this. This will help all of us. Motivated people take initiative. Now, listen to this. He said, he writes in his book, he said, I often hear pastors speak appreciatively of people on their team who get it. Do you always like it when somebody gets it? Listen, these people don't require constant supervision and constant reminders about what needs to be done. They intuitively recognize needs and with wise initiative address those needs without ever having to be told what to do. This doesn't mean that they are mind readers or that they don't need training and instruction, but it does mean that they pick up quickly on what needs to be done and they assume responsibility for getting those things accomplished. I've had people that I've dealt with over the years that you've asked them to do something and they've said, well, that's just not me. I just don't do that. And I've had other people over the years where they didn't, know how to do something, and guess what they did? They went online, they Googled it, and they figured it out. Those people have, have initiative. Those people have motivation. Those people are the kind of people you want on your team. Did you get what I just said? For example, a worker might be told to move boxes of new chairs into a certain classroom. A person who lacks initiative might simply move the boxes into the room and consider the job finished. However, a person with initiative would move the boxes into the room, take the chairs out of the boxes, set the chairs in order, and remove the boxes from the room. If there's any question, the worker will at least say to his or her supervisor, I assume you want me to set the chairs up and throw away the boxes as well. Wouldn't it be nice to have a worker that did that, not just one that moved the chairs into the classroom and left them in the boxes? Initiative and thoroughness go hand in hand, and when these are part of a team's culture, tasks are going to be done and done well. You won't see a lot of loose ends and things falling through the cracks. Motivated workers stay on top of things and take godly pride in their work. Now, I think that speaks for itself. And and I've noticed this over the years, and I've noticed this with myself. It's easier to be motivated when obtaining than it is to be when maintaining. Now, if you're taking notes, you ought to write that down. It's easier to be motivated when obtaining than it is maintaining. A perfect example, and I'll use my weight, those of you who are visiting and don't know, about a year ago, well, last October, I weighed about 230, 225, 230 pounds. When I sat down, it took me about two minutes for everything to settle. You know, that is hilarious. They're not going to laugh at anything. But I had so much flubber. So I got motivated and... I began to eat right. I began to jog on the treadmill and exercise. I heard Phyllis Diller say that at Six Flags one day about a heavy person that sat down and took him like two minutes to settle. And I thought it was funny. And it's funny. These people need help. We need to, you know, they're just going to say, they need to get motivated to laugh, you know. Ha, ha, ha. We've got to teach these people. Oh, Lord. You know, you can have a little fun in church. You know why more people don't go to church and what they do is because there's no fun. Bless these people. That was funny, wasn't it? I can't help them. You want to just go home and have a snow cone? <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're talking about, you know, we shouldn't talk about snow clones. We're talking about, about losing weight. Anyway, I got motivated. Realize I say motivated. motivated. And I've lost about 60 pounds of exercise. And I got myself in shape. So when, when, I was, when, when I was losing the weight, when I was coming down, boy, it was exciting. Because, you know, down, down 230, 225, 2, 220, 215, 
205, 200, you know, boy, every day you get on a scale, you know, and, and boom, boom, we're coming down 190, 185, and down into, one, into 170, 170, got down to 165, and, and guess what? I'm about as low as I can go. So now I don't have to obtain. I have to now, what do I have to do? Maintain. It was a whole lot easier obtaining than it has been maintaining. Because when I was obtaining, I had a goal. I had something to look forward to, something to strive for. But now that I've reached my goal, it's a lot harder to maintain this than it was to obtain it. Because to maintain it, it means an hour and a half every day in the in our little gym room. And I think to myself a lot of days, well, I'm just going to lay off today. I've already arrived. I've at the right weight. I've got, you know, I'm I'm looking better than I've ever looked in my whole life. But guess what? One day can become, and two days becomes, and three days becomes, and the next thing you know, now we're going the other way. 165, 170, 175. You understand? It's a lot easier to obtain than it is to what? Maintain. So that's where this next word comes in, and we'll spend the rest of our time talking about persistence. Persistence. Is it okay if I tell a joke once in a while or tell something? Is it okay? I mean, I mean, if you want me to be serious all the time, I can do that too. But... Is it all right? If... Thank you, Gary. Realize, say persistence. Now, what is persistence? We'll talk about this one and then we'll, we'll close. Persistence is this. It's stick-to-itiveness. Has anybody, speaking of, of weight loss, has anybody made a New Year's resolution that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my diet and I'm going to lose weight? Has anybody ever done that besides me? And you get, you know, you're okay through the first couple of weeks of January, but then you get to the end of January and then all of a sudden you're not sticking to it anymore. That means you're lacking persistence. It means to endure. It means to never give up. It means to never quit. You see, motivation gets you going. Persistence keeps you going. Motivation gets you going. Persistence keeps you going. Vince Lombardi, how many knows who Vince Lombardi is? Anybody know who he is? Okay, he was a uh, uh, coach, football, was it, uh, green, was it, was that, okay. Now listen what he said, we know how rough the road will be, how heavy here the road will be. We know about the barricades that wait along the track, but we have set our soul upon a certain goal ahead and nothing left Listen to this, and nothing left from hell to sky shall ever turn us back. That's why that man had championship teams, because he was never, ever, ever, ever going to quit. It's not enough to have an initial burst of excitement and then later slough off. You have to maintain, and you do that through persistence. It's not enough to start a race. The race must be finished. Does anybody who know, know who Jesse Owens is? He was a winner of four gold medals in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And he powerfully expressed the significance of passion that endures. He said, listen to what he said. There is something that can happen to every athlete and every human being. The instinct to slack off, to give in to pain, to give less than your best. The instinct to hope to win through luck or your opponent not doing his best. Instead of going to the limit and past your limit, where victory is always to be found. Defeating those negative instincts that are out to defeat us is the difference between winning and losing. And we face that battle every day of our lives. You know, Bear Bryant, who was a famed football coach, said this. We don't give up at halftime. Sometimes... Athletes slough off because things are going well. Like a football player flipping the ball just before crossing the goal line. 
Listen to this story here. I think you'll enjoy it. In Super Bowl 27, a defensive lineman recovered a fumble and ran it 65 yards for what appeared to be a certain touchdown. He slowed down 10 yards before the goal line and later said he was watching himself on the big screen. He was unaware that a player from the other team was rapidly closing in on him. And at the one yard line, the unprotected ball was slapped out of his outstretched hand, spoiling a touchdown opportunity for him. It's not enough to begin a great play if you quit hustling before you've accomplished your goal. You see, sometimes athletes slough off because things are going good. Sometimes athletes slough off because things are not going so well. Uh, golf is my game. I enjoy golf. Has anybody uh, ever heard? Because he's talked about it himself, so I'm not putting him down. John Daly. Have you ever heard of him, the golfer? And there's been times where things were going bad for him, and he just started sloughing off on the golf course. He just start, started acting like a little, little spoiled kid, you know. And he sloughed off. I lose respect for people that do that. I think he's a great guy and all, but, but in those times, and admittedly, he said that I wish I wouldn't act like that. He said that publicly. Um, I, I like John Daly. I, he's motivated me in many ways, but there's times where he, things have got going bad for him and he just sloughs off. I don't respect that. Now, Jack Nicholas, you ever heard of Jack Nicholas? He's always trying his best at all times. As a young boy, I heard him say this. He said, I try my best on every shot. Whether I'm in the tournament or, or I'm, I'm way down in the pack. And that's how we should be. We should always be doing the best that we can. Always doing the best that we can. Go to Second Samuel 23 verse 10. I want to talk to you about just this man named Eleazar. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. This is 2 Samuel 23.10 in the Message Bible. We're talking about persistence, stick-to-itiveness. But Eleazar stood his ground and killed Philistines. Now, they were the enemy of God. Killed Philistines right and left until he was exhausted. But he never, what did he never do? He never let go of the sword. And that caused a big what for God? A big win for God that day. See, if you want to cause God's dream team to be a winning team, you never want to let go of the sword. And now I'm not talking about the physical sword now, but what is the Bible called to the, what is it called? The sword of the spirit. Don't ever let go of the Bible. Don't ever let go of the word of God. See, Eleazar is a good example for us. He'd be a good teammate. He never let go of the sword. Now, he had a physical sword. We have the word of God. But listen, it caused a big win for God that day. Now, watch this. The army then rejoined Eleazar. So the rest of the team showed up. Watch this. But all there was left to do was clean up. Wouldn't you like to have a teammate like Eleazar? How many like to have a teammate like Eleazar? Have you ever, because I've watched this over the years, uh, when we'd have a chore to do here at the church, and we'd have things that needed to be done, and uh, there'd be some guys would get here early. I know there's been many times where I was going to meet the fellows up here at a certain time, and we were going to do some stuff outside or move some stuff here at the church. And I'd show up, and I was on time or a little early, and I'd show up, and when I walked in, I was so happy because guess what? They had already gotten here. They came like an hour early and they had everything done. And I didn't have to do anything. Isn't that good? Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Isn't that wonderful when that happens? When you can show up and everybody uh, on the team, other people on the team or a couple of people on the team have showed up and they had all the work done. See, that's the kind of teammate you want to have. Persistence is perhaps the hard is perhaps the hardest in the face of difficulty and discouragement. Just listen to this. I don't want to go on too much longer, but uh, are you okay? Are you getting anything out of this? I'm not boring you, am I? Listen to this. This uh, person named Adrian Judson, years ago in 1788 to 1850 is when he lived, is sometimes referred to as the founder of modern American missions. 
He and his wife Anne went to Burma after being denied entrance to India, when Burma had no known Christians. It was six horrifically difficult years for Judson, uh, and he never saw a single decision for Christ in his first. Let me let, wait. It was six horrifically difficult years before Judson saw a single decision for Christ, and his in his first eleven years there had only twenty converts. Did you get that? Yet Judson persevered. He said, I will not leave Burma until the cross of Christ is planted here forever. In spite of a torturous 19 months in prison, Judson persevered. He was so committed to his post that he wrote to England, beg the churches to have patience. If a ship were here to carry me to any other part of the world, I would not leave my my post. I would not leave my field. Tell the brethren success is as certain as the promise of a faithful God can make it. After 38 years in Burma, Judson had evangelized the nation and translated the scriptures into to the Burmese language. Sometime after his death, a government survey record showed that there were 210,000 Christians in the nation. See, what if this guy would have give up after six years? How many of us, we start things and we make a commitment. We start things and we get into it a little ways and, and things don't go as we think they should. And then we give up and quit. I know if he would have give up and quit, he would have went down in history as a, as a failure. Listen, you don't fail unless you quit. Did you hear what I just said? You don't fail unless you quit. I said you don't fail unless you quit. Now, now I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stop right here and work because I've got another 20 minutes on this point. So we'll pick up here next week. I'm, you can only, your mind can only uh, uh, take in what your seat can endure. But listen, I would rather just stop now, pick up next week when we're fresh. But I want you, I, I want you to stay hooked for a minute because I want to stay on this point. You don't quit. You don't fail unless you what? 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 You know what? I've had people criticize me over the years for various and sundry things. And I've had people particularly criticize me as a pastor and... And, and perhaps we haven't done all that maybe other churches have done. But you know what? We've done a whole lot. And you know one thing we haven't done, which is a great success and makes us a success, is we have not what? And we're coming up on our 20th anniversary. It'll be coming up in September. And you know what? That's a big deal. You know why that's a big deal? Because it's almost unheard of for a minister to start a church from scratch with no money, with nothing. And we started 20 years ago up in that school. And we have had every kind of obstacle come at us that you can imagine and some things you could, shouldn't imagine. We've had every kind of, 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 of thing, uh, people, uh, problems, all kinds of stuff. And many times people say, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just quit? Why? And there's many times my wife and I, you know, there's many times I thought, well, I'll just go back and teach school. I'll just go, you know. And I'm not saying this to pat me on the back, but, you know, if I'm going to be the captain of the team, I can't ask you to do something that I haven't done. And I've had people criticize me, people that have never started a church, people that have never pastored a church, people that haven't done anything for God except complain and cause problems. And I've been criticized by those people left and right over the years. But you know what? I'm still here preaching. We still have this, 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 every, there's no debt on this ministry. I've never had to stand here one time and beg for money. And we haven't quit. 
And you don't fail until you what? You don't fail until you quit. Do you know in the Bible, all of the notable characters in the Bible had times of what we would think of as failures in their life. But you know why ultimately they weren't failures? They did not quit. And what we've done in the last 20 years, but by just not quitting, we've been a success because we didn't quit. And we've done something that's, that's unheard of, that you'll have one pastor, a couple, a husband, a wife, start a church from scratch with nothing and go leave, start a school, leave a school, buy property, build a building, get it all paid off. Supposed to take 20 years. We paid it off in seven. We've been out of debt for years. Never have had to beg for money. Have never had any financial problems whatsoever. And, and it's been a ble- blessed on every side. Why is that? Because we didn't quit. And many Bible characters had times of what you would think of failure, but they didn't fail because they didn't quit. Does anybody remember what happened to Paul in Lystra? Does anybody remember what happened to him in Lystra? Right after he said to that man, that crippled man, he said, rise and walk, stand on your feet. And that guy jumped and walked. Do you remember what happened to Paul shortly after that? They stoned him to, 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 to almost to death. They drug him outside the city and left him for dead. And guess what? He had some good teammates. And they, the Bible says that some of the other disciples came out and surrounded about him. Apparently they prayed. And you know what happened to Paul? Now, if there was ever a time to quit, that would have been the time right there. He had just seen God move through him. A mighty miracle. A lame man was healed instantly. And within just a short time, they stone Paul, leave him for dead. He's laying there in the dust. If there's ever a time to quit, that would have been it. But he had people come around him. They prayed. He got up and guess what? He didn't quit. He continued on. Real I'd say he continued on. And he didn't quit. And you know why Paul finished his race? It's because he had persistence and he didn't quit. You don't fail until you quit. Stand with me if you would. We'll pick up with this persistence. I got some good things to say about it next week and then we'll move on. Heads bowed, eyes closed right before we dismiss. Heads bowed, eyes closed right before we dismiss. Heavenly Father, I pray for these people. I pray that they would get a hold of these Truths that we're teaching and that all of us would develop and grow in these areas as, as, we, as needed. Some of us are further along than others, but all of us can, can improve in these things. And I just pray that all of us would be persistent. That we'd be real, we'd be authentic, we'd be motivated, but not just motivated, but persistent. And we know that in, in, therein will never ultimately fail. We thank you for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Now listen carefully. The biggest question you're ever going to have to answer is this one. What's going to happen to me when I die? One day you will. That's the biggest question. And all I can tell you is that the Bible teaches that there's a heaven above and there is a hell beneath. And God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's not his will at all. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And then was shed his blood and then was raised from the dead. But you see, just because Jesus did that doesn't mean that you get to take advantage of it. It's there, it's available, but you have to do something to to take advantage of what he did. Say, Pastor, what do I do? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to miss hell and make heaven? Do I become a member of a church? That won't do it. Do I receive communion like we did earlier today? Nope, that won't do it. 
well, I thought water baptism. What if I was water baptized as a baby? Or what if I get water baptized? Nope, that won't do it. Those are all good things, but that won't do it. What if I become a member of your church today? No, that won't do it. What if I give a big offering to your... Nope, that won't do it. There's only one way to miss hell and make heaven. There's only one way to get eternal life. And you have to repent of your sins. Just say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry. Turn from that life and then say, Jesus, come into my heart. And if you'll do that, he'll come in instantly. And you'll become saved. You'll become a Christian. You'll become born again. And then you'll miss hell one day and make heaven. And in the meantime, the Lord will come into your heart and he'll make your life worth living. He'll make your life worth living. So, if you need to do that, when I dismiss this service in just moments from now, you walk up here to the front. There'll be some men and women There'll be people leaving, people talking. That's fine. You just walk up to the front. There'll be some men and women. There's already some up here now. You just come up here and say, hey, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. And they'll pray with you. And they'll help you. If you need prayer for anything else or you just need to talk to somebody or, or whatever, that, these people are up here to help you. So if you need to come up, you come up before you leave today. Now, I'm glad you came. I love you. I appreciate you. And know this, that you have a pastor that loves you. And cares for you. And don't ever forget that as much as I love you, Jesus loves you more. So greet one another. Love on one another. If you need to come up, do so. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. God bless you. You're dismissed.